How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we are up to chapter 17. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. And please grab your notepads and pens and uh, grab your tea, grab your coffee, whatever it is you're having for breakfast, lunch, dinner, or snack, or whatever. Come to the table. Join us in our study of the life of Christ, of the person, the deity, the power, the righteousness, the goodness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. All right. So we're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're uh, looking into these things, and we're comparing Scripture with Scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept, taking a look at what it says, how it's being said, and how we can apply it to ourselves for our own learning, learning how to properly, rightly divide the Word of Truth and all of this. All right. So with that... Um, yeah, so just pick up where we left off. So we'll just jump right into it, I guess. So good morning, good morning. How's it going, folks? Good morning. Thank you so much for joining in. Just give it a sec before we get going so everyone else can come in right off the, the, the beginning here. So we can all go along at the same time. All right, so quick summarization. Uh, we take a look at what's been going on in chapter 16. And we see Jesus is talking to the people. He's uh, talking to his disciples. He's finishing up uh, his dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes and all of them. So he's uh, leaving the crowd now. As you see in chapter 17, he's going to go up in the mount. Now we know in this chapter, this is uh, going to be talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. There's a few things I want to talk about in this uh, but uh, before we get going, um, it's interesting bit that uh, we see in the end of chapter 16, as I just had a little conversation with an individual, a lady over on Instagram, and uh, one of my posts, she was a little upset that I was speaking against Joel Osteen. You know, Joel Osteen that preaches the prosperity gospel. You can have your best life now. And God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, rich, and powerful. And Osteen puts down poor people, says they just have no faith. And he mocks poor people, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, she got upset. Say, so are you saying God wants his people to be poor? <laughs> Does God want his people, his children, to be poor? Well... Let's just put it this way. Um, this is what I said to her. I said, nowhere in the word of God do you see that wealth is a promised blessing of God to all those that believe in him, to all those that follow him. God never promises wealth, power, fame, all this. He never does. Nowhere in the word of God. In fact, you only see the devil does. Only the devil actually promises wealth, power, and fame to all those that will bow. God never does. Jesus said, store not up for yourselves treasure on earth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, but rather to store up for treasure in heaven. 
to forsake all, follow me. No, nowhere in the word of God do you see God promises wealth, power, and, and fame and all this as a blessing, as a promise to all those that follow him. And as you see here as well, end of chapter 16, starting at verse 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Deny yourself. Deny your desires. And see, forsake all. Follow me. Come after me, let him uh, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So you see, there's a, a, it talks much about letting go of the things of this world. That Now, it's not wrong to have wealth. Nothing wrong with that. It's just the point is that God doesn't promise wealth. Yes, some in the Bible were wealthy, but that's not the norm. Take a look at the prophets. Take a look at the apostles. Take a look at John the Baptist. Did they have their best life now? Were they all healthy, wealthy, rich, and powerful? Now we see David and Solomon had, had wealth, power. Abraham was rich. But what about all the rest of them? There were uh, much, much of the prophets were destitute. Now, does that mean God wants us to be destitute? No, it's that they gave up themselves. They, they chose, they gave up everything to follow after the Lord. John the Baptist couldn't care less about the things of this world. He gave up all things. He didn't care about wealth. We take a look at, uh, for example, the, the martyrs, the Christian martyrs down, down uh, through time. Did they have their best life now? So it's just the the mindless ignorance of the prosperity gospel just astounds me sometimes. How people can get so caught up in this, and people ask, "Well, well, if it's so false, then why do these people have these preachers have so many followers?" You start twisting scripture and start preaching how you can be insanely wealthy, rich, and powerful. Uh, that that's going to appease the flesh and you're going to get every dog in his brother that doesn't understand the bible people don't want to hear that a gospel of sin they want to hear how god wants you to have your best life now so it's just insane anyways what a way to start all right, so grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 17, and grab your notepads and pens, grab your tea, grab your coffee. Time to study the Word of God. Okay. <clears throat> and for the record, I, I'm doing really well in cutting out the sugar. Um, I don't... Very rarely now do I put, I put sugar in my coffee now, and even milk. Uh, some, some ones I, I might if I've made it a bit more strong or a bit more bitter but uh, now drinking black i don't know how you guys drink your coffee your tea some people i've known put in tablespoons of sugar not teaspoons tablespoons of sugar in their coffee like do you like do you like a little coffee with your sugar so yeah I, oh my god i that that's no longer coffee that's i don't know what that is that's sugar sludge <laughs> All right, Matthew chapter 17. Let's get down to this. Okay, so he finishes up here in speaking with his disciples. And uh, 
uh, we wrap this up now in chapter 17, verse 1, and after six days, so finishes up at the end of chapter 16, and now a week is gone. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. All right, so they leaves all the rest and everything else that's going on, and they go up into the into a mountain. He only takes a couple with him, and they gets up there, and uh, Jesus goes up a bit a bit further, and he goes to pray. Now, what is praying? Some people have some trouble with this. They say, "Well, if Jesus is God, then why does he pray to the Father?" If Jesus is God, why does he pray to the Father? That is, when someone asks that question, that is a proof right there that this that this individual does not really understand what prayer is all about. Praying, as I always explain it, uh, praying is holding conversation. Where if we were back in ye olden days, if I want to have a conversation with you, I would come up to you and I would say, I pray ye. And that's invitation to conversation. That's me asking you to stop what you're doing and, and if you could have a conversation with me. I pray you. To, to pray an individual is to plead, implore, to, to seek to hold discourse. So that's what's going on. Uh, it doesn't mean that Jesus is subservient or less than what it's showing here that he's ha that the son is having a conversation with the father right so Jesus uh, says and verse 2 and was transfigured transfigured that that's uh I'm not even going to seek to okay okay that's right uh, okay, the transliteration of the Greek is metamorpho, metamorpho, to change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. Christ's appearance was changed with resplendent, with divine brightness on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is also where we get the word metamorphosis, metamorphosis. So he was transfigured before them, changed. Something about him became radically different. And his, his his appearance, and he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun. Now, this immediately reminds me, if you go back in the Old Testament, take a look at Moses, when Moses talked with God on Mount Sinai. At this one other point, he goes up and he's having a conversation with God, and Moses asks the Lord if he could actually see the Lord. Because the Lord always has a veil covering Anytime the Lord would appear to us, there's always a veil covering the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, or the Shekinah glory cloud, and the tabernacle, the temple, the burning bush, the body of Jesus, the flesh veil covering of his spirit, of his person. He always has a veil covering. And it, as scripture says that no man hath seen uh, the, the, the face of the Lord, and no one has seen God and lived. Is that we are incapable of looking upon him in his full form and, and what he's like. He always has a veil covering. So uh, Moses asked the Lord if he could actually see, and God says, "No, sorry, you couldn't. You couldn't handle it. You you would not be able to bear it. But rather, what I will do is, you stand over here in the cleft of a rock, 
You stand over here in the cleft of a rock, and I will pass by. And as I'm passing by, uh, the, the Lord, I forget the words exactly, but how he will part and see like a sliver, just a very faint sliver of God's back as he went by. And, and he did. And Moses' face shone like the sun. He was, it became very exceeding bright. And he finished up talking with the Lord. And as he's coming down, the people were scared of him terrified of him and he had to put a veil over his face to 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 kind of hide hide some of the brains because the people were scared of him so it's it's a similar thing here in the presence of god but here we see jesus is god manifested in the flesh and he transfigures himself as moses was changed by god jesus is god and is revealing his brightness in this and he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Again, similar language, exactly, of the of the road to Damascus. When Saul of Tarsus met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appears in the brightness of the sun. Just before him, just boom, brightness there, and, it, and uh, Saul falls on his face and gets saved. And so while Jesus is standing there, transfigured, shining like this, and his raiment shining white as the light, behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, Elijah. Moses and Elijah appeared beside Jesus. Now, I'm going to keep reading here and I'll come back to this. There appeared unto him Moses and Elijah talking with them. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now we understand, as in Luke chapter 9 is a parallel passage here, it says, and Peter wist not what he was saying. He had no idea what he was even saying. I'll get to that. But what I want to talk about just for a second here, something very interesting. Can someone tell me? How did Peter know that that was Moses and Elijah? Jesus didn't tell him. How did Peter know that it was Moses and Elijah? Because he didn't hear what they were talking about. He just saw them there. They were talking with Jesus and they were up there, up there a bit, a bit away from the disciples. And he just saw Moses, Elijah, and Jesus in this great radiance and this manifestation here. How did Peter know it was Moses and Elijah? Any thoughts? See, there's one thing that we do see in about this is uh when we get to heaven we will know we will know each other we will know others that there is a power there an understanding and that when you get to heaven the knowledge uh, the knowledge that that will come you will see people and you will know who they are and uh, you will know each other when we when we are in the presence of god there there is knowledge understanding wisdom 
you know, around the corner and you you will see Daniel, Moses, Elijah, you'll see other other Christians of other times and you will know who they are. There there is an understanding that comes with this. Uh now but even though we do see that wisdom comes from God, understanding, discernment, and these kinds of things, we see how in our own state how it can make a mess of things because if you take a look at peter here they appeared unto them moses and elijah there's so many things i want to talk about in this i'm trying to figure out which one i want to talk about first you see moses and elijah appears and then peter pipes up with not knowing what he's saying he's just, just word vomit words are falling out and he says let us make three tabernacles one for you one for elijah one for moses he's just in a state of absolute awe bewilderment this incredulity he's just he doesn't even understand what he's saying and therein we see an issue this is this is also why while he verse five while he yet spake behold a bright cloud overshadowed them that's the cloud of god the shekinah glory cloud of god and the cloud overshadowed them and behold a voice out of the cloud which said this is my beloved son in whom i well pleased hear ye him in other words peter stop talking listen See, when we try to interpret, we try to understand, we try to uh, figure things out, we're going to make a mess of things. We need to be silent and let the, let the Son of God speak. Let the word of the Lord speak and listen to the Lord. Hear ye him. We see more emphasis in the word of God on hearing. He who have ears to hear what the Spirit saith. So, he, so listening to the word of God, understanding the word of God, studying the word of God before you even speak it. So we see here as well um, a great understanding, a great principle and example on slowing down what you're talking about, slowing down uh, uh, your thinking of things and spending more time in study of the word of God before you even speak. And Peter had no idea what he was talking about. Um, we, we can actually go over to Luke 9 just for a second and take a look at this. Um so luke chapter 9 verse 28 and it came to pass about uh, about an eight days about an eight days after these sayings he took peter and john and james and went up into a mountain to pray and as he prayed the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glisten glistering glistering that's like sparkling so it wasn't just shining it was like a sparkling and behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem, talking about you know, the things that that's going to come, that's going to happen. I'll get to that. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, so they fell asleep. So Jesus is up there praying, and they fall asleep. And he's transfigured and he's talking with them. And they wake up from their sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, as Moses and Elijah disappeared, went away, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. 
And while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they, and they feared as they entered into the cloud, and great fear came upon them. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close and told no man those days anything that they had seen. Let's go back. Matthew chapter 17. Now, one thing I also want to cover in this, well, that's Luke 9, 28. Uh, I also want to cover, as well as some people try to pull this uh, as a contradiction in the word of God. Because as we see in Matthew chapter 17, verse, verse 1, and after six days, then if you go over to Luke 9, it says, it says and about eight days. Oh, which is it? Six days or eight days? You see what happens as they just cherry pick the number and they don't pay attention to the words and after six days so six days and a little more so after six days and the other one says and about and so let's go back to luke 9 just for a second <clears throat> and it came to pass about an eight days so it's about so it wasn't exactly so it's around that that period of time so they're busy and they're not keeping track of exactly of exact how many days but some people try to pick these things as a contradiction oh, was it six days or was it eight days it was neither it was after six days and was about eight days so it's, so it's after six and about eight so around in that period so you pay attention to the words just a quick thing i just want to throw in there for apologetics so this is so you got to pay attention to the specific words all right all right so another point that i want to pull out in this in the mount of transfiguration moses and, and elijah now as we know this is many 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 years after moses and elijah that they've been long 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 dead right long dead um If soul sleep is true, then how are Moses and Elijah appearing to Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration? So, soul sleep's stupid. Soul sleep is not biblical. It can't, you can't justify it. There's so much scripture that, that uh, refutes the idea of soul sleep. It's just, it's just dumb. So... It's just one point here. Just wanted to throw that out there for fun. All right. Let's move on. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, we'll start at verse three. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and, and Elias, Elijah, talking with them. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces, because as we also say, that a great fear came over them, and they collapsed to the ground in, in fear on the face and were afraid and jesus came and touched them and said arise and be not afraid arise and be not afraid as god gives us not the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind he's not the author of confusion he always teaches and instruct us in him is wisdom and understanding 
and we see anytime a, uh, an angel would appear anytime the lord would speak any anytime the lord would do things and the person would collapse in fear would be under great fear they would always always say any servant of the lord that would always preface with preface it with fear not fear not you'd always see this fear not arise and be not afraid now when they had lifted up their eyes they saw no man save jesus only all right and uh also want to uh, hold your finger here and go over to second peter we yet see this account again in second peter because as we see jesus says it, uh uh, so we see in verse 8, and when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, instructed them, commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no men. What you saw, what you heard, what you saw of this whole experience, tell it to no men until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And keep it to yourself until after the resurrection. So after the resurrection, we see uh, after the ascension, all this, and the uh, churches started and all this, and the epistles are being written here, we see Peter writes about this. He writes about this in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 15. 2 Peter 1, starting at verse 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Okay, hold up for a sec. We have not followed cunningly devised fables. We hadn't we didn't make any of this up. And you know, as some people like Richard Dawkins and other atheists and skeptics and people say that all the Bibles is written by ignorant sheep herders and that they just wrote down lore and myth and fancy stories they made it all up no 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 we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our lord jesus christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty we were there we saw it we heard it we experienced it first person we were there for he was uh, talking about Jesus, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. So he's referring to that. We were there. We saw it. We heard it. We witnessed it. This is this is who Jesus is. Now, the thing about this, about experiences. Experiences are very weighty. They're very powerful, very moving. And depending on the kind of experience that some may have, and witnessing miracles, signs, wonders, whatever may be going on, I am by no means a cessationist, but uh, uh, another argument for another time. But we do see in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 10, that there are certain things which are gone. But uh, uh, spiritual gifts and signs and wonders, all these kinds of things are still uh, available and relevant and still happen this uh, to this day. But the thing about this is some people really get angling after experiences. 
As we know, there are certain groups, movements, denominations that really build off of this and uh, emphasize experiences uh, nigh to equal to or surpassing the authority, the power of the word of God. That I know that such and such a thing is true because I felt, I, I believe, I think, I experienced, I saw, I envisioned, I dreamt, or I, whatever else. Because I could do this, I manifested that. And But what does the Bible say? Now, could you imagine, could you imagine being there? Peter, James, and John in the Mount of Transfiguration. And you, you open your eyes, and there's and Jesus, who you followed up in the Mount, there's Jesus shining like the sun sparkling in radiant divine glory his face and his clothes and and with him are standing moses and elijah and and the great power is manifested here and you you see this and the spirit of god is allowing you to see and understand this is what's happening and you stand up and the cloud that the cloud of God comes down around you. The voice of the Father booms out. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye Him. And you fall in fear in this, and Jesus walks over, says, "Arise, be not afraid." You imagine experiencing that firsthand. That would change your life. You'd be scared out of your wits and absolutely amazed, and all the rest of it. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Something that is more sure, more valid, more powerful, more weighty, more justified. Something that I can rely on more. So that I can rely on this more than even voices of God from the sky. More sure. More reliant. We have a more sure word of prophecy that that which can teach us. That which can instruct us. That which can advise us. Now what is this that is more sure than, than even this that, that can instruct me more and teach me more guide me more and be more to me than even this experience what what can be more to me than even that we have a more sure word of prophecy where unto ye do well that ye take heed as unto light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and day star rise in your hearts that's the faith of christ rising in you verse 20 knowing this first first and foremost before anything and everything that no prophecy of the scripture, look at that again, that no prophecy, instruction, teaching of the word of God is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God speak as they are moved by the Holy Ghost. The word of God, the scriptures, are more sure, more weighty, more reliant, more trustworthy. You can depend upon the word of God more than even a full-blown manifestation of divine glory and voice of God from the sky. Apostle Peter said that by inspiration of the Spirit of God. Think about that. 
this book, what is in it, is more weighty, more trustworthy, more reliant, more sure than even the than experiencing the entire manifestation of the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, let's move on. Arise and be not afraid. Instruction of the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, the power of the Word of God, the validity, the justification of the Word of God, it justifies itself, it validates itself, it proves itself. This was given by God and we are meant to follow this, not experiences. Now, I'm not saying experiences can't happen. I'm not saying that you can't have a vision. You can't have an experience. You can't have any of these things. I'm not saying that's not possible. It, it is very well possible to that. But can God talk to you outside of the word of God? Can God talk to you outside of scripture? In what context? Let's look at this for a moment. Now, this is where cessationists and all kinds of other reform people will probably lose their ever-loving minds. But give me a second. Can God talk to you, show you things, instruct you to this day? Visions, dreams, experiences, all of that. Yes, absolutely. But never in contradiction to his word. If he does talk to you, if he does say something, show you something, it will be for scripture. It will be to bring you back to this, to point you to a truth of this. He will never, ever, ever contradict his word. He, he, anything he does say, anything that he does do, will be to bring you back to remembrance of this. To, to uh, as uh, Word God talks about how the Lord encourages and he guides and guards, he blesses, he delights in the joy of his saints. He, he does fellowship with us. He does go with us where we go and all these things, and he participates in what we do. He will never contradict his word. So we need to keep that in mind. Now, some people say, well, well, I had a vision. Okay, well, the whole point of these things, okay, God doesn't do flippant things. He doesn't speak flippantly. He doesn't work flippantly. There's always a point and purpose to everything he does and says. And anything that he does uh, does manifest to you, whatever it is, we are to take these things as well and scrutinize them because we see a more sure word. And we're to test all things by the word of God. And all things are to be tested by the truth. So, for example, Peter here, speaking out of turn and, and letting his own self try to interpret, and he's just making a mess of it. And what does the Lord do? Be quiet and listen. You clearly don't understand and you're speaking in, in, uh, improperly. You need to listen and the Lord will tell you what you need to say. Stop trying to interpret it yourself. Know uh, that knowing this first, the no prophecy of the scriptures by private interpretation. See, now it's tying it all back in. Peter was trying to privately interpret and he got it wrong and the Lord told him to stop. Listen to my son. Hear him. What he has said. What, is, what, what does the Lord Jesus say? What does God say? So Peter, trying to interpret these things, 
by what he uh, by what he saw of this experience he tried to interpret it but he got it wrong what he should have done is asked for insight asked for guidance in this asked for understanding and so this word of god interprets the word of god so experiences and things done by the Lord, given by the Lord, are to be interpreted by what the Lord has already said and given. You see? All right. Now, uh, Jesus charged him, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of, Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And, it, and his disciples then asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? Okay, because well, they what they just saw was the spirit of Elijah talking with Jesus, and they're remembering well as the, the scribes all them talking to the synagogues about uh, how Elijah must first come before the Messiah comes, because now things are starting to rise in their minds because Jesus proving that he's the Messiah. But the scribes are saying that Elijah must first come before the Messiah can come, but Jesus says he's the Messiah, but Elijah hasn't come yet. And here's the spirit of Elijah now on the Mount of Transfiguration. So now they're wondering that they need to understand. They need clarity. They need insight. So they ask, why do the scribes say that Elijah must first come? And, and that, the Elijah will, uh, the, the Elijah will come and make a crooked way straight and all these kinds of things. And Jesus answered said to them, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that, that Elias, Elijah, is come already, has already come. He's already come. And they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake to them of John the Baptist. The Bible does not say that Elijah, as the person, will come back, like rise from the dead kind of thing. But it's talking about the well, one will come in the spirit of Elijah. In the spirit of Elijah. And restore all things. Because to take a look at Elijah and the work of Elijah and what he did. He came and he called all of Israel to repentance. John the Baptist called all of Israel to repentance. Elijah challenged the authorities of the land, uh, the, the, the kings and all the rulers. John the Baptist challenged all the authorities of the land up to the word of God, the Pharisees and all of them, and instructed them in truth. Elijah called down the fire of God on the mount. What about John the Baptist? Behold the Lamb of God, he shall baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost. And John the Baptist announced and brought in the fire of the Spirit of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So you see what they did is is a mere a mere image in doing the same kind of work in presenting the fire of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the word of the Lord calling to repentance, and and uh, as Elijah worked, so did John the Baptist. So uh, uh, the spirit of Elijah, of the working, the calling, what Elijah was meant to do, John the Baptist fulfilled. He spake to them of John the Baptist, and they saw this. Oh, so the one did come to make the crooked way straight, just as uh, the prophet Malachi said that would happen. And John fulfilled all this. And look what Jesus says, though, in verse 12. But it seems to you that Elias, 
Elijah, I like to say Elijah, it's just it's easier. That Elijah is come already, and they knew him not. The, 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 what does that mean? They, they had no idea who or what he was? Oh, they knew. The pe people knew. But here, is uh, he's Jesus referring to the leaders as they gave him up. They hated him. As, remember, Jesus asked them, The baptism of John the Baptist, was it of men or was it of God? And they said, Well, if we say, if we say that it was of God, he'll say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say it was of men, all the people will stone us because that they, they believe that he's a prophet. Jesus referring to the leaders rejected him meaning rejected him and didn't did not want him but have done unto him so they handed him over and they allowed the, the king to take him all this kind of thing and they opposed him and they've done it to him whatsoever they listed and it's also talking about all the other people of the land like Herod and all these things is is they would not accept John for who and what he was and they did away with him likewise shall also the son of man suffer of them as they will reject me they will reject me they'll oppose me they will not accept me that's what jesus is talking about verse 13 of matthew 17 then the disciples understood that he spake to them of john the baptist okay so they're up in the mount mount of transfiguration all of this has happened a powerful powerful experience and uh, some great instruction here is given uh, given regarding this about uh, taking all things in in context all, and bringing all things back to the word of god and, and seeing that experiences experiences do not interpret the word of god okay experiences do not interpret the word of god experiences help justify help clarify help and uh, help to back up as scripture does not need experiences but experiences are like a bonus something else that can that can help that that's like an add-on something that that can occur to give you some more understanding of these things to help you see like for example we see in scripture it talks about encouragement it talks about blessings these these kinds of things how the lord delights in us and he helps us then he may give us i'm just spitballing here he may could give us a, a vision experience of something that will encourage us like for example i'll tell you one that happened to me now this is a I, about a year or two after I got saved and I was going through a, a hard period of time in my previous job and I was in a state of real depression I was really heavy and depressed about some things that were going on and I was really struggling and the Lord had had been talking to me uh, uh, bring up Bible verses, these things on uh, relying on him, casting my care on him, all, all of these things. And the Lord keeps speaking to me on this. And he's always with me. And, and I, I was really struggling, really fighting the heaviness and the depression, all this kind of stuff. And, and this is middle of winter. And I've, I, was work, I was working the night shift and it was around 3.30 four o'clock in the morning 
middle of winter and big blanket of snow fresh blanket of snow had come down and being that early in the morning middle of the night kind of thing uh no traffic so on my drive home was just all just, just pure snow and no tracks and it, it was quite something and as i'm driving home and uh i'm coming down the hill at the bottom of the hill there's an intersection and my place is just through the intersection and as I'm coming down the hill to the intersection, I see that on the other side of the intersection where, where, I, where I'm heading, there is a, a guy in the middle of the road with a bicycle. And it was on its side. And he's fussing with it. As I, I come down and I'm at the stop sign, and, I, and he's just, just through the intersection, so I creep up and I pull right up beside him and I roll down my window and ask him are you okay do you need any help and he's like it's like oh the chain came off my bike and I'm try trying to get to, to town like, okay uh, well I used to do uh, a lot of mountain biking and all that kind of stuff and everything and I've done a lot of uh, work on mountain bikes so I know a fair bit about that I'm like well I can help you I, I know a lot about uh, fixing bikes he's like sure I'd, I'd be greatly appreciated so I pull over and get out come over and help him and uh, the chain had wedged itself in the in the sprockets and all that so i pop it out and get back on the on the uh, uh, the gears and all that get it all back working again he's all happy and i got bike grease all over my hands now and he, he's happy and he shakes my hand thank you so much really appreciate it. thank you so much he gets on his bike and starts and it starts biking away i turn get in my car pull it into the parking lot and i get back out to go back out to the road to see if I could see where which way he went and I walk up back out to the road now you got to understand there was about three inches of snow on the road and no other tracks but mine and his I'm wide awake wasn't hallucinating walk back out to the road and I see, okay, there's all the scuff in the snow where we were, where the bike was. And there's my tracks, there's his tracks, and there's his. And you see the bike tracks when he, he was biking away. And there's about three inches of snow. He's biking away. And the bike, the bike tire tracks go and stop. It's like he's biking and then gone. There were no tracks. They just vanished. And I'm standing there, I'm like, I'm looking, I walk up, and I could see bike tracks, and just stops, right in the snow. He just vanished into thin air. I'm like, am I hallucinating? I look down, I still have the bike grease on my hands. This happened. And immediately, Bible verses came up. I am always with you. And you will entertain angels unaware. So I stood there for a second. Trying to wrap my mind around the fact. That I just helped fix an angel's bike. <laughs> All of the heaviness just disappeared. All of the depression just just lifted. And I was just in a state of amazement, like Peter here, in a state of amazement, and just thinking how real it is. 
It's as real as the bike chain grease on my hands. I swear to you, I swear to you folks, hand, hand before God, I lie not. That actually happened. I, that actually happened to me. And that it was real. 100% it happened. It's real, folks. That's how the Lord works. He shows you. He gives you illustrations. Experiences are examples. Examples, illustrations of biblical truth. Experiences do happen. The Lord still does work. And experiences and things outside of Scripture the Lord may do are for the purpose of helping you to understand biblical truth as examples of these things demonstrations of biblical truth he doesn't teach you outside of scripture but the things that he may show you to teach you is for scripture now do you see it you make does that make sense just like that the, the, the lord showed me the lord the lord used this and allowed this kind of thing to happen now why did the lord do it in that way i have no idea I don't know. I don't know why he does what he does. I don't I, I don't I don't understand the Lord sometimes. Why why did it have to be in that way? I don't know. He chose it to, to be that way. Something that I could relate to. That even in the state, as upset as I was and heavy as I was, to go over and help this one. And the and the Lord uses this as a means to Help me to see. Help me to understand. The Lord can use experiences, uses these things for our benefit to teach us, to help us to understand biblical truth. Yes, the Lord is always with us. We can read that. We can read and read and read and read that. But to experience it is something else. To experience it just really drives it home. To, to to be to be allowed to have a vision to to see it you can read it read it read it but to see it it drives it home in the minds that may be a bit thick to that be a bit thick to understand the reading of it some of us some of us sometimes need a little more coaxing as some of the disciples many of the disciples they believed that the lord was risen and they didn't need to, uh, any any uh, any experience of it but thomas thomas struggled did the lord deny thomas an experience no but rather the lord came to thomas behold my hands and my side be not faithless but believing blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe but the lord in that does not deny those that may need that little extra mile the lord doesn't deny the thomases he still shows himself to the Thomases because the Lord delights in the joy of his saints. He delights in believing faith and to be able to drive it home and to cause one to believe the Lord, the Lord delights in that. You see, you see how good the Lord is, how wonderful the Lord is. The Lord does delight in the joy of his saints. The Lord does work. And we see as well, like the example that, that I gave you of my own, my own uh, one experience there, as the Lord followed up immediately, he didn't leave me wondering. He didn't leave, I wonder what that could have been. I wonder, the Lord is not the author of, author of confusion. But immediately, the moment I saw that, I'm like, huh? 
boom, scripture came up, clarifying all these things. And it was abundantly clear beyond shadow of a doubt. And therein is one, one of the points, as I've talked about before, is that is that some people are like, well, I had I had this experience, this experience, this experience. And you ask them, okay, what was it about? Well, I don't know. I, I'm wondering. Then it wasn't of God. How can you tell if an experience is of God or not? If you even have to ask the question, I wonder if, then it wasn't. Because God is not the author of confusion. And he will always clarify himself. He always drives home the point. He does not leave you wondering. He does not leave you in that state of confusion. He doesn't work that way. He, God, God isn't, isn't. Uh, uh, forgive me if I use the word incorrectly, mysterious in that way. Like it's a mystery. You got to figure it out. No, he doesn't work that way. He doesn't give you a little clue here, a little clue. No, no, this is what it is. This is who I am. This is how I work. Like the, uh, like the cloud that comes down. Peter is looking, it's like, well, and a cloud comes down and clarifies these things. And then afterward, and tells Peter, be quiet and listen. And then Jesus tells them about this, this stuff. We see the Lord works in clarity and understanding. God does not work in, in mysteries in that way and those kinds of things. God does not leave you wondering and confused and fearful. He fights against that. Arise, be not afraid. He fights against fear. He gives us the spirit of fear. God works in clarity and understanding. The word of God is the clarity. We got to learn to set aside our own personal interpretations as we see in 2 Peter 1. Set aside our personal interpretations and come to the interpretation, which is what it says is what it means. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. What does it say? Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, I understand some people may not believe me what I said about my own personal experience, and I don't care what they think. If somebody say, "Well, I don't believe it," that I don't think that could be, and you know, all the cessationists, all those kinds of people who may call me on these kinds of things and whatever, I'm telling you right now, I couldn't care less if you believe me or not. I know what happened. I was there. I was an eyewitness of it. As Peter says, as he was an eyewitness, I was an eyewitness of this event. I was there. I saw it. This is what happened. I had, after after the fact, I'm standing there. I had the bike grease on my hands. I had to go in the house and use dish soap to get the bike grease off my hands. I was there. It happened. So you can believe me or not if you want. It was real. I saw it. No, I didn't see it incorrectly. No, it was bright. There were street lights right there in the snow. It wasn't like what well, I couldn't really clearly. No, I could see abundantly clear. The tire tracks went and stopped right in the snow. Just like that. Just as that, just like I explained it. 100% real. It cut because the faith is real. It's all real. <laughs> okay. Um. Let's go down here in the comments here just before we get going. All right. Amen, amen. Uh, Kimberly says, yes, I remember you telling the story a few years back. What a wonderful thing to have witnessed, a blessing. Amen. Uh, Purely says, Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. Yep, amen, amen. 
Raul says, I've had an experience like that too. I was at a party when I first got saved and a man came up to me and asked me, you have believed in the Lord Jesus, right? I said, yes. And he went, went up the hill to the party and came back down 10 minutes later. He walked down the highway and I went to go check as he kept walking and he vanished. Yep. Yep, absolutely. I, I, I believe in those things. I've seen <laughs> way too much to deny uh, the spiritual experiences, to, to deny these kinds of, uh, of things. I, I've seen way too much. Uh, it's, it's so powerful. It's so real. It's more real than we could ever imagine. I, 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 I pity the people who are hard-headed. I pity the people that, that don't really believe these things. I pity the people because how they are, they are denying such power, such reality. They're denying the, 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 the ability of God to be able to do these things. Nowhere in the word of God is say that these kinds of things won't happen. The cessationist misses out on so much. I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, it's 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 all real um i'll share one more i don't believe i have ever told anyone other than my mom and dad about this one it was a couple years after i got saved this is during the period of time my older brother had uh my old older brother had um denied the whole faith all of that and had gone into staunch hard-nosed dogmatic atheism hardline atheism he had given up everything denied the whole faith the whole thing and fallen into hardcore atheism now we were quite rocked by that and it, it was such a, a problem and he was like that for several years i can't remember the exact number it was several years he was he was in that it was during this period where he was atheist during that period is where i gotten saved and it was a couple of years later he was still hardcore atheist and we me and my family uh, my parents and uh, friends would talk about my older brother and we pray uh, his atheism we'd we pray for him regularly regularly and it really hurt us it really really was a pain uh to, to see him like that and he was quite antagonistic to the faith and everything and we were, we were just terrified of the of the of the thought of him dying unsaved and going to hell i i can't i can't even wrap my mind around the possibility of any of my family going to hell i i can't i can't handle it, it it's just it it's too heavy and so we would be praying and praying and, and tears we'd be praying crying to the lord literally crying in prayer asking the lord to save my older brother and i was here at home and i was praying and praying for my older brother the lord would spare him please spare him and in the middle of my praying it was at that it was like as if my eyes are closed and I'm praying, praying to the Lord, pleading for my older brother. And it was literally like as if I opened my eyes somewhere else. And I was standing in, in my parents' living room, 
and it was as real as this. And me and all my brothers and my parents were standing kind of in a circle in the living room with our hands up raised up and we were all praising the Lord simultaneously. We're praising the Lord and in the middle of us was manifested a, one in a, 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 a form of a person in radiant glory and we all knew that this was the Son of God. Just as scripture says, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. And it was a vision of that kind of thing. And what got me was that my brother, my older brother, was standing there praising the Lord. And verses came to my mind of the Lord saying, how anything you ask of me, I will do. And all is how the Lord hears our prayers. He hears the prayers of the saints. Where two or three are gathered, I'm in the midst of them. Out of the mouth of, of two or three witnesses, a thing shall be established. And me and my whole family were praying for him. And just that uh, the Lord is confirming these uh, these passages. The vision went away. It was, it was uh, several months later. My older brother got saved. He, re he rejected atheism, denied atheism. He believed on the Lord. He repented and believed the gospel. And the next time I met him after that, after he got saved, we were standing in my parents' living room praising the Lord. We, we were all talking about Jesus Christ. We were talking about the gospel. We were talking about salvation. Just like how I had seen, the Lord confirmed it. Now people say, well... They can deny that all they want. I know what I saw. I know what I heard. I know what happened. And it came to pass. The Lord fulfilled it. We were standing in my parents' living room praising the Lord just like I saw. It was... The Lord does work. He does speak. And in moments, in moments of need, the Lord can work. We don't look for the experiences. Now, Peter, James, and John did not go up into the mount to cause, to seek after, to, to make, to appear these experiences. It happened beside the point. The Lord didn't need to do that for me. He didn't need to do the Mount of Transfiguration for the disciples. But it's the fact that he did was to help drive home a point. Me and my family were in a great state of despair and heaviness and, and sorrow for my brother. We're praying and praying and tears and praying. And the Lord, it rejoiced our hearts, helped us to remember that the promises of God, to keep praying, to not give up, to not uh, uh, fall in faith or faint in prayer, but to keep at it. And the Lord confirmed it and he showed it and it, and it happened. And my brother... His testimony, he talks about, he, said, he, says, he says he woke up the one morning the, uh, when he got saved. Is, uh, he woke up in the morning, he had his coffee, he was outside walking around, he's still atheist, uh, and walking around, and as he, he turns around to come back into the house, and he says, it, it's, it wasn't visual, or any of this kind of thing, he didn't actually see anything, but it was like in his mind kind of thing, and it was... He turns around, it says, it was like as if the clouds just rolled back and there was God. And it was like, all of a sudden, just everything just made sense. 
like, like as if a veil was lifted and it just all realization just came to him and he says and he's and he says i saw the truth and it made sense i got it i saw it and the first words out of my mouth were you're not supposed to exist <laughs> says it right there it just all just was revealed to him he just saw it oh and it just made sense he had that light bulb moment that that enlightenment the clarity came to him and he repented and believed the lord does work experiences are real things do happen we don't go seeking for it but when it does happen like like how jesus came to thomas he didn't have to do that but it's the fact that he does it's the fact that he can who are we to deny these kinds of things who are we to reject these kinds of things but rather these things do happen that's why the word of god stresses so much to test to make sure to use the scriptures there's the experiences are not in place of the experiences do not interpret the experiences are not what we look for they're like an added benefit an added bonus something that can help drive home a point to help to bring one to clarity and understanding of what the word of god says and the word of god interprets these things because the enemy can bring experiences the enemy can cause manifestations we are to test the spirits of all things and I have one more to share with you uh, of an example of just that. And this is why we test all things. This is going back a few years ago. Uh, generally, my rule, uh, what I try to do, I try. <laughs> it's easier some nights than others. But when I wake up in the middle of the night and I have to get up, I, I generally try to remember to use that as an opportunity just to pray because I have no idea why I woke up. Maybe the Lord needs me to pray for someone or something or maybe something's going on. So I, if I wake up in the middle of the night, I, I generally have a word of prayer. And uh, I was went out into my living room and it was, I forget what time it was. It was like around four-ish, I think. I, I have no idea. But it was late um and I, i'm i'm by my couch and i'm praying and in the middle of my prayer again like i said before it was like as if my eyes opened somewhere else and it was a big big cloud bank it's just standing there and it was bright and it, but big thick 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 rolling clouds are going by right in front of me and this being came through the clouds. I could see the clouds kind of rolling over the wings of this big creature. And this, this, it looked like a cherubim kind of idea. Covered, and they had uh, radiant armor, big wings, and it had a huge sword in, in his hands. And it just came forward like this in front, in front of me. And then all of a sudden, gone. And I was back. I was sitting there like, whoa, what was that? for a while i thought maybe i'd seen an angel for some reason but it said nothing it said nothing and it wasn't until like a day or two later as i was thinking about this and i, I, I started thinking about it because i was talking to my dad about it and he started asking me questions which i'm like 
because I hadn't tested it because I had no idea what why I saw it. I had no idea why I saw it. It said nothing. Anytime in the word of God it says if an angel anything comes, they always say fear not, and they always come for a reason. And so I started I put the thing to the test. I had forgotten. I didn't test with scripture on that one. Because I had thought it was an angel and all this, and I thought it was all incredible, but then why? Because I was in a state of confusion. Yes, it was incredible, but what was the purpose? There was no purpose. There was no point. It said nothing. It meant nothing. Or nothing. Didn't line up with the word of God. That wasn't of God. That was an attempt of the enemy to try to get me off a tangent, off derailed to, to get me focused on something else. To try to try to get me to look to experiences without the need for the word of God. In that state, for a moment, it was I was like Peter. I wish not what I was saying. Because at first I'm like, well, you know what I saw you, it was this and but I was mistaken. I was completely wrong. I got, I was taken advantage of. Peter was taken advantage of, of himself, of his own zealousness, of his own opinions, that he needed to go to the Lord for clarification. I forgot to do that. And we see here as, uh, as yes, we can have experiences, but how do you know if it's of God or not? need to test it and the enemy doesn't even need to say anything and that in and of itself is a red flag that in and of itself is a red flag we got to be careful we got to be very careful the word of god needs to take precedent in all things no matter what you see what you hear what you experience what's going on it doesn't matter where you are what you are what what's what or what the issue is the word of god takes precedent to test all things to bring all things to the lord the word of god is our final and absolute authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith we don't need experiences we don't need it we don't seek it but it can happen if it does happen we got to be ready we got to be ready we go we preach the gospel we go serve the Lord. We follow Christ in all things. We, we are to bring him the glory in all things. It reminds me of some, and you read a missionary stories. There are so many evidences, manifestations that missionaries have over in some of the third world countries. And uh, one of my favorites, I think I've talked about before, for example, is uh, um, the one of 30 years with the South Sea Cannibals. The book's way up there. I can't reach it. 30 years of Sussy Cannibals. And this guy goes up and, uh, and he's on the islands. And these guys are full-blown cannibals. And uh, he worked with them. And uh, he started to establish a rapport. And some of the people he was able to talk to. And uh, um, a whole bunch of them, though, really hated him. The chiefs hated him. Threatened to kill him and eat him every day 
for 30 years every day. They would say, go home, get a good sleep, because tomorrow we're going to kill you and eat you. And they were dead serious. For 30 years, that's what he had to deal with. Spoiler alert. Anyways, uh, and uh, the one one day, uh, this missionary, he's sitting by his cabin. It's up on a little uh, hillside. And he sees this, some, uh, some of the natives are running, like, everything they have running towards him and they're screaming and shouting you hide 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 and they get up to him and says you got to hide because they're coming they are coming to kill you and eat you and just then he could start to hear way off in the distance the sound of war drums so he's like okay come on get, come here so he gathers everyone up they get into the cabin which is uh, uh, a very sturdy log cabin they close the door bar the door bar the windows and everything and they all fall on their faces on the floor and start praying and they start praying and praying and praying and they could hear the drums and all the hooting and hollering and everything else is just getting wild louder and louder and louder and, and to, to the point they're all surrounded the cabin banging on the drums and screaming and shouting and, and uh, they stay on their faces praying all night and it was at one point very very early in the morning and this it, this went on all night uh, all of a sudden all the sounds everything just stopped and it was just dead silent. And they kept praying and praying and praying and praying until until uh, morning had fully come. And he gets the missionary gets up and he moves the barricade, slowly opens the door. There's nobody. There's nothing. He opens the door. There's nothing. He steps outside and everyone's gone. Everything's gone. Okay, so they all come out and they're thanking the Lord. And while he's they're, they're all thanking the Lord for this, they see one of the the other natives, one of the unbelievers, uh, is walking towards them from uh, down the hill, and he's looking really timid, really timid, and he's kind of looking around like this. He's craning his neck, looking and looking. He's walking towards the missionary, and he gets up close, and the missionary asks him, well, "What's the issue? What's the problem?" He's like, and the the unbelieving native says, "Where are they?" Missionary says, "Who?" The native says, the giant soldiers? Where'd the giant soldiers go? He's like, what do you mean, giant soldiers? He says, well, as you know, yesterday we were coming because we were going to kill you. We were going to kill you and eat you. And we, we had our war party. And as you know, we were surrounded the cabin as, as we were preparing ourselves to attack suddenly your cabin was surrounded by giants giant soldiers surrounded your cabin and they frightened us so much we all just ran what do you think can the lord do that There are so, so, so many reports of incredible manifestations, signs and wonders by the servants of God worldwide. And it's all for the purpose. It's all for one purpose. And that is, it reinforces this. 
this. Because this is a more sure word. This is the truth. This is the way, the truth, and the life. And that God works in ways to establish the veracity of this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of the living God. In this is life. Search the scriptures, for therein you shall find salvation. There are so many testaments, so many testimonies, so many proofs, so many stories out there of these kinds of things, of, of people preaching the truth of this, how, uh, showing how the Lord had re has revealed the truth of this. And that's what these things are. Revealings of the truth of this. And we praise the Lord for it. We praise the Lord for it. But we can't forget. We can't forget that in the moment of, of elation, the moment of excitement of these things, we mustn't forget what God said out of the cloud to Peter. This is my beloved son. Hear him. We may be hearing and experiencing what these things may be going on around us. We can't forget to hear what the Lord says as he is the one that interprets it for us. Because these things are for the purpose of establishing the truth of the veracity, helping us in a moment of need, helping us to see, helping us to understand a bit more clearly of these things we may be, we may be troubled about to bring us back to the word of God. These things do not uh, take precedent. These things do not... Uh, become our interpretation these things are not what we seek for but they are used as tools to help us to become more rooted in the word of god you go back read read the stories of things that happened with uh, george Mueller. read the things that happened with spurgeon with wesley with john wesley and charles wesley miracles signs and wonders of, of these kinds of things it's a, it's incredible aw tozer uh, powerful men of God. Miracles, signs of wonder. God does work. God still works in wondrous ways. The things that he has prepared for them that love him. Yeah, how long have we got? An hour and 19. We got a little bit more time. So, we'll wrap that up and then go to verse 14. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. Before we continue on, any comments, questions on this, what we're talking about before we move along? There we all good. <laughs> Excuse me. It, it is amazing how far the Lord will go to help his saints. How far the Lord will go, what the Lord will do, what, how far, how far he, he will go to, to bring us to understanding, to encourage, to, uh, to strengthen, to lift up. The, great, the, the grace of our Lord is just incredible, uh, uh, just thinking about it sometimes, of what he will do to help us. It's amazing. All right, let's, let's continue then. And then verse 14. And when they were come to the, uh, so they're coming down out of the mount. They're coming down out of the Mount of Transfiguration from there. And uh, they wrap that all up in verse 14. As they're coming down uh, to the multitude. So all the multitude were down there. All the other disciples are down there. 
And as they were come down, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. But this is a, a bit of a, a beef that I have with so-called modern medicine. Much, I want to be careful, much of what we see going on in the world today, uh, mental illness and all kinds of other issues and problems, illnesses, diseases, if we were to go into the Bible for a moment and take a look at some of these things, it's it's amazing how how often we see in the Bible an ailment, an illness, a disease, whatever, is directly linked to demonic possession or demonic oppression. Uh, we see it so often. And here we see one, uh, This he says, my son is lunatic. A lunatic. Now, if we're to bring this boy up to today, all the doctors would just say that it's just a, it's a mental problem and they would just throw pills at him. Throw pills at him, go for therapy, go uh, pills, go to a psychotherapist, a psychologist, and all the rest of it. Uh, but if we keep reading, Lord have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. They could not cure, because he's seeing it as just a natural thing. It just it needs to be cured. Like like, a, like an illness needs needs to be healed, to be cured. Then Jesus answered and said, "O faithless and perverse generation, how how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me." Now, if we go to another passage, that talks about this. It says that as they brought the child to Jesus, as he's being brought, the spirit in him threw the boy down and tore him and he was frothing at the mouth and having a fit we would see that oh he's just having an epileptic seizure he's just having a seizure my question that i have is is really when we think about it then we take the biblical precedence now i'm not saying that all illnesses and diseases and issues and problems are, are demons i'm not saying that but my question is how much of it do you think actually is demonic manipulation going untreated in a spiritual sense that you're trying to treat demonic interference with pills you're trying to, to treat demonic manipulation with psychotherapy see this is why we should go to the lord first before we go to doctors we should go to Lord first before doctors. Now, he who, is, he who is sick needeth a physician, as the Bible does say. There's nothing wrong with, uh, with uh, in that sense. But the Lord should be entreated first. We should go to Lord first 
in all things in prayer and fasting seeking the face of god in all things first before going out see the problem today is is the is the moment anything happens it doesn't matter what it is stub your toe or run to the doctor you get the sniffles run to the doctor you have any form of trouble illness disease pain problem whatever we run to the pharmacies we run to the therapists see this is a, a big problem with today's christianity is the I want to say nigh agnosticism, nigh atheistic style approach to demonic interference, to spiritual warfare. Because with many Christians, and I have personally witnessed it, where I try to talk to some Christians who are having some severe problems. And they've tried all of the remedies, all of the things, and they're wondering what's going on. And I try to bring up to them the idea of, of what about if it's demonic. And it, it, I, I've I've nigh been scoffed and mocked. People just poo-poo it and brush it away. Oh, no, yeah, well, but you know, and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to think about it. They don't really believe it. And these are these are professed Christians. But there's a study for you I would like, if, if you could do, is do a study through the Word of God to see how many different individual ailments, problems, blindness, muteness, deafness, binding, that's, it's like, uh, like a severe arthritic kind of thing, a person's all bound up, or the, or, or uh, withered up, or, or anything, and how, how many times you see in the Word of God that it's demonically linked. So what do you think about that? That the enemy can cause problems. The enemy can cause these things. They can cause, and they can not not directly cause, but flare up, make to be worse. And they can actually pile on to that. There could be could be an already uh, actual natural problem, and they can enhance it. They're very powerful. They're very powerful. They can do things you can you can begin to imagine. Go back and take a look at Janus and Jambres, the sorcerers of Pharaoh. They could turn by black magic, by the power of the demonic spirits, they could turn their walking stick sticks into snakes too. They could turn water to blood too. They could they, they were able to match Moses miracle for miracle quite a ways through until finally the Lord's like, ah, that's enough. And and, and the power of God over overruled them. How many things that they can do? You see, the other thing about experiences, we're talking about experiences, signs, and wonders. And this is, it directly goes in as an example here that the Lord Jesus has for us. Yes, there's wonders and signs and things that God can do. And as God can do, so, so can the enemy. The enemy can cause things to happen. Now, we seeing we're seeing a lot more of this kind of stuff these days. In the past few years, there has been an, an excessive, monstrous explosion of demonic manifestation in society, in uh, people's minds and lives, and uh, uh, um, all kinds of stuff that's going on. 
as well as you see in 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 culture and society uh, worldwide is uh, another issue and that is the pursuit of witchcraft actual practicing of witchcraft new age and occultism has taken over society like crazy disney and entertainment and everything else is witchcraft and demonic manifestation in the music industry how much people are are worshiping the devil and being outright just overt about satanism and witchcraft and it's just the child murder and immorality and everything else all kinds of other degradation debauchery of society is just taken over and all this and people are wondering well, what's happening well there is something i want to talk about just for a quick moment i don't want to spend too much time on this but uh many years ago there's uh it was published out of the satanic church uh, and uh, in witchcraft all this uh, there is a prophecy that was given in satanism and witchcraft uh, people in all this stuff were talking about uh, how they are going to bring about their pentecost it's called the black pentecost a uh, black revival black pentecost of uh, what uh, just uh, they say as you christians had your pentecost we're gonna have ours is literally how they were putting it and that uh, there's going to come a point where just as christianity with the apostles of this spread over all the whole world we are going to say saying we're going to publish ours and and cause uh cause witchcraft and, and satanism to spread across the world and guess what it's here it's here the black revival the black pentecost is here um the black the dark awakening it's also called and uh, we're seeing this all throughout society and christians are refusing to look at this they're refusing to accept this they're refusing to acknowledge that this is what's going on that we are at war we're at war and it's and it's god versus the the devil and christians are losing now i'm not saying that we we're losing as in you know the power of the faith is is insufficient i'm not saying that and saying that we take a look at the great falling away we see the weakness of faith the weakness of faith the weakness of prayer the weakness of the churches we saw it the past couple of years in all the lockdowns how many churches just folded up faith gone preaching gone churches closed christians walking away we've saw it faith gone And we take a look at the the re, at the reasons of some of these things that we see in many Christians' lives. Where is devotion to the Lord? Where's the faith? Where's the belief? Where where is this? And look what Jesus says: "Faithless, O perverse, O faithless and perverse generation, faithless, faithless." You see, one of the one of the reasons that causes for faithlessness is because so many people are bored with this they're bored with the word of god because they're angling after experiences angling after that which will make them feel like they're close to god feelings are irrelevant it's not about feelings and sensations and signs and wonders it's about the truth of what it says what it means but when you don't have a holding to biblical truth when you don't have faith in the word of God, your faith is going to fall apart. 
You're building your house on sand. And when churches are all caught up in emotionalism, all caught up in sensationalism, all caught up in the signs and wonders, all caught up in things and uh, taking precedent over the word of God, those churches will fold up. We take a look at the, some of the churches in Revelation. And we see, we see this in uh, immorality. We see worldliness and all kinds of things getting in, creeping in and destroying the faith and a great falling away. And the enemy is able then to proceed. The enemy is able then to push their narrative, able to push their power. And because the church is the dam of the river holding these things back. But when the dam starts crumbling and falling apart, that it loses its ability to hold hold back the flood and the flood of wickedness takes over because uh, as the word of god says there will be a famine in the land and not a famine of bread but a famine of the word of god and this is where we are a famine of the word of god because people are not holding to the word of god they're not holding to the scriptures as the absolute authority they're trusting in everything else looking to everything else and and they're watering down the severity the truth of the scriptures and we see this a great the great uh black awakening the black pentecost taken over and the, uh, we even take a look at the religious polls uh, it was a couple of years ago over in britain england which used to be the center of Christianity, born-again Christianity, uh, of the world. That England was that which was known for all of the missionaries, all of the great preachers, all of the great revivals would be put out from England. England now, in the religious polls, witchcraft has actually surpassed Protestantism in England. More people in Britain believe in witchcraft and Wicca than there are even Christians. And that is now fast becoming the case in Canada and the United States as well. New Age occultism, witchcraft and Wicca are now the starting to catch up and surpass born-again Christianity in the United States and Canada paganism and heathenry how is that possible because we are in a faithless and perverse generation we back up into chapter 16. what did jesus say in 16 verse 4 a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign but no sign shall be given but the sign of the prophet jonah that which has already been established, that which has already been given, already been told, already been written, the word of God, that which the Lord has already said. When we take a look at Christianity today, where are the holy men and women of God? You know, there is a, there's a, a, a great Christian, he, uh, a great musician, his name is Ed Seeley, great preacher great bible teacher powerful evangelist and he had a song he was a musician and he wrote a lot of gospel songs ed seeley is his name you can look up some of his songs he's got some great stuff he is a great preacher and he has on one song where are the holy men of god like the prophet isaiah jeremiah 
or the Apostle Paul, who are not afraid to wear his name. Where are they? You look today. If you look back in time, you see, we speak so much in past tense. We talk about those that have been, like the Spurgeons and the J.C. Riles, the George Mueller's, the the Hudson Taylors, Eugenia Price, Amy Carmichael, the holy men and women of God of time past. We talk about Moses and, and Deborah and all these. Okay, well, who are the ones of the next generation? Where are they today? We talk so much in past tense. We should, but we should be talking in present tense. We should be talking about future tense. What about the next generation? What about the children that are going to rise up and they're going to, they're going to be the, the leaders of the faith tomorrow? They're going to be the leaders of the church to, to come. But where are the holy men and women of God of today that will teach them and show them so that they can stand up against this flood of evil and wickedness? Who won't water down the word of God? Where are the future Spurgeons? Where are the future Mueller's? Where are the future Deborah's? Where are they? This is the problem. When the word of God is ignored and we don't look, look into things properly, we don't discern properly, we become faithless, our prayer is weakened, we are so taken with technology. I saw one post and I shared it a while ago. It says, when telephones were cabled, the people were free. When the telephones were corded and attached to the wall, the people were free. How, how true that is, in a sense, uh, where we, can, we can't go five minutes without our social media. We can't, we can't think for ourselves hard. We can't even hardly read books anymore uh, because we're so taken with, uh, with that instantaneous gratification of our social media and everything else. Everything's made so easy. We have so much technology. We don't need God. We store up so much for ourselves that our prayers weaken and we don't really need God that much. When we start replacing the Lord, we don't need him. We don't really need to pray because we can think for ourselves. We have our books and all of our materials and everything's to ourselves. We don't need the Holy Spirit. We don't need the signs and wonders. We don't even need the word of God because we got therapists and psychologists. We got the pharmacy. We got, we got everything else. We have the internet. We have Wikipedia. We have everything else. That we, we cram full our schedule so much. We're so busy. We don't have time to pray. You look at old Ironside, one of the great preachers, old Ironside, and many others, Spurgeon, and many they would they would pray for hours, hours. We can hardly pray for ten minutes because we're too busy. The preaching used to be back in the day. The preaching used to be hours, days. Now we can hardly sit for thirty minutes. 
when faith decreases, when the zealousness decreases, when the time put into it decreases, wickedness flourishes. When we become so busy, we, we push out God, push God to the back burner. We're so busy rushing to the grocery store because we're so busy. We don't have time to hand out tracts. We don't even have time to think about the spiritual aspects, that, to see the other people around us as souls instead of people. We're so busy. We're so rushed. We're so taken, so full. We're so satisfied. We're so content. We're faithless. See, faithlessness doesn't mean unbelieving. We may believe it. We'll shout hallelujah, amen, and all these things as they're true about the power of the word of God. And we believe it. But our faith is so weak, so fragile. We believe it, but the actual carryings out of it is another thing. You see, the disciples, they knew, they understood, they saw, they got it, they believed, but what? They were faithless. Look at the churches. Many of the churches are faithless. The weakness of prayer. Where prayer becomes just a regurgitation of a list. Listen to the way some people pray. Now, I don't want to put down how the people pray, but it's just, you know, I listen to things. I listen to how people pray. I listen what, I, what I'm listening for is I'm listening for heart. And oftentimes, forgive me if I'm wrong. Lord, forgive me if I'm wrong in, in my presumption. But the, the way I hear some people pray sometimes, it, it just sounds like repetition. It's just like just words. It just sounds like they're reading off a list. Uh, there's no heart. this is christianity now look at the way they used to pray look at the way they used to preach look at the way the church used to be look at the power that it used to have the impact on society the impact it had on the unbelievers the revivals the miracles the preaching the writing the working Look at the early church. Look at the churches down through time. Now look at it today. What are churches known for? What are churches mostly known for? Compare today's churches, churchianity, with what once was. That's what I'm talking about. When faith decreases, this is what happens. When we get distracted, the point of all things is for the power of God, the glory of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where is that today? When, when Christians today, you, when you look at them, you look at the crowd, point out to me the Christians. You used to be able to. Now, blend right in no difference no difference you could you can walk for days and not see another christian that you could point out identify you could go well one there's one thing that uh, i've had others talk about and i've talked about before is how often have you 
been handed a gospel tract. When you've been out in town, out and about, uh, where someone has come up to you and handed you a gospel tract, as they're a Christian out of angels and witnessing, and they're handing out tracts, they just happen to come across you and hand you one. When was the last time you saw someone handing out gospel tracts or have been handed one? Where are the evangelists? Where are the witnesses? Where are the Christians? Where is the church? Where are they? Church, uh, churches today are more building hiders than street preachers. You see this? You see this? You see, we can talk about what once was. We can talk about the experiences we have had. We could talk about the missionaries that have been. We could talk about the church as it once was. But that was then. That was then. Experiences lose their power and impact. Stories lose their impact. Testimonies lose their impact. What doesn't lose impact is the word of God. You see, we get so caught up with the stories. We start preaching stories more than the Word of God. We start preaching our own words more than the Word of God. We start focusing more on catechisms, commentaries, creeds, and other books and writings and stories and, and stuff instead of the Word of God. We start pushing out. We start minimizing. start diminishing the power of the Word of God. The time we put into the Word of God. The time we put into preaching. We start diminishing the, the time. We start clock-watching the services. And we're going to see less and less power. faithless faithless and perverse generation how long shall i be with you how long shall i suffer you imagine hearing that jesus saying that to you imagine if you were standing with the disciples and he turns to you and he says that to you he's shown you he's told you you have cast out devils before you have gone he has sent you up before you've seen it you know it and now all of a sudden uh, this is happening why fear fear the fear of the multitude because jesus is up in the mount they didn't know how to pray when jesus wasn't there they didn't know how to act they needed their hands held they didn't know how to stand jesus talks about this the direct correlation uh, parallel passage of this he says some of these come not out but by prayer and fasting prayer and fasting when was the last time the church fasted when was the last time the church prayed and even prayed as a church as a whole, fasted as a church as a whole, conducted as a whole. But you try to bring these things forward and hardly anyone wants to participate. Hardly anyone wants to. Oh, I'm too scared. I can't pray in a group. But the moment the service is over, everyone's up milling around talking. And you can talk for hours about any other topic in front of everyone else. But for some reason you can't pray with everyone else because I'm too timid, too afraid to pray in public. You can talk about anything else in public in a group. You can't talk to God. The churches become so self-indulged, so so uh, 
caring about the, the, themselves and caring about how others see them. You care more about yourself. You have more of the fear of man than the fear of God. You become a faithless and perverse generation of the church. But what can the church do? Acknowledge these things, see these things, and change. It's never too late to, to change. It's never too late to fall on your face before God and right yourself in the Lord. It's never too late. We need to take the faith seriously. But And so often, though, when you start talking about these kinds of things, people just start looking at you weird, thinking how you're just, you're just being overzealous. You're be, being way too serious. You're going too far with this. You're not being realistic. They start making excuses. Those are the faithless. Those are the goats. Those are the ones holding it back. You ignore those folks and you need to do what's right. You need to take the faith seriously. The, the faith has not changed. We have changed. The power of God hasn't changed. We have changed. The miracles aren't gone. We've just become faithless. This is why the cessationists are taken off and becoming such a movement is because so much of Christianity has become so faithless. We're not seeing the miracles because we're, we're not believing. The miracles still here. We've changed. The faith hasn't changed. We have. God still works and is just as powerful in the things he has stored up for ourselves, but we're wasting the opportunities. Tell me I'm wrong. Someone, please tell me I'm wrong. But this is what we're seeing. This is what we're hearing. I, you know, I, I, I stopped asking Christians years ago other Christians online in person I stopped asking them on on the Mondays or after after services I'd message my friends I'd talk to other friends I'd talk to other people and I'd ask them what was the Sunday message about no you can hear is crickets I don't know I don't know I don't remember. I I think it was on this verse. You don't remember. You 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 sat there with your Bible open, staring at the preacher for however long it was, and you can't remember what the service was about. But you can remember everything about it that's going on in social media about politics and social justice garbage nonsense and everything else that's going on you can listen to a song on the radio and remember it verbatim you can recall all kinds of movies entertainment everything else you can talk about everything else under the sun but you can't talk about the bible five minutes you can talk about everything else under the sun for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on end but you can't quote five bible verses from memory this is what christianity has become this is why wickedness is so prevalent this is why the why the world is is overtaking the church this 
is why the church is becoming so weak. The world is now sitting in the pews and Satan can go to church. The devils, and pagans, and heathens, the unbelievers can sit in so-called church buildings and not be challenged. This is why so many Christian households are falling apart and, and family troubles and everything else is happening is because faithlessness is being is being the main theme. Zealousness is gone. We're becoming more zealous about what the government's doing. More zealous about what the stupid medical system's doing. More zealous about everything else. We care more about what they're injecting into our children than what the world is injecting into our minds. We care more about needles than we do about doctrine. We care more about what the television says than what the Bible says. Tell me I'm wrong. We care more about the actors and what Hollywood and the red carpet is doing and what these Illuminati people are doing. We care more about that than we care about what God is saying to us from the Bible. Tell me I'm wrong. How could Jesus call saints faithless and perverse? I dare say that this verse is more applicable to us here now in this time than it was even for them, the disciples back then. And they had Jesus walking with them in the flesh. I dare say we deserve more of a woe than anyone else, any other time ever did. Woe unto us. Could you imagine if Apostle Paul were alive today, the kind of letter that he would write to us, that the kind of letter that John would write to our churches. Imagine, imagine the woe unto you, O Church of the United States. Woe unto you, O Churches of Canada. Could you imagine the letters we'd receive? And we can talk about this and there's a rule, there's a personal rule I try to take to myself and one that I was told many years ago was never complain about something unless you have a solution on how to fix it. How do we fix this? How do we fix this? Some say, well, it's, it can't be fixed. Nonsense. Garbage. Foolishness. Yes, it can. How can we fix this? You see... We pray and pray and pray and pray for revivals. We pray and pray for revivals. We pray for everyone else. We pray for the situations, all these things. We pray and pray, but we're missing something most important. You can pray for revivals until the cows come home. You can pray till the day of Armageddon and revivals won't come unless you're praying for revival for yourself first. Revival starts in the heart of the one who's praying for it. Where is our revival? Personal, personal accountability. Personal revival. Where's my revival of my life, of my heart, my mind, my being? Where's yours? You talk about others and other churches, other places, but what about ourselves? You see, if you want to, to help change things, if you want to see an impact, you want to see changes, you want to see this uh, 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 come to, to be a more Christianity of what it should be, it needs to start with yourself. 
It needs to start with yourself. Look what he says. And Jesus, in verse 18, Jesus rebuked the devil and it departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. What, the, the disciples, they didn't believe in the power of Jesus? No, they did. Well, they, they, they believed. Absolutely, they seen it. They heard it. They witnessed it. They've seen what the Lord can do. They've done it before. When Jesus would send them out by twos and threes, they've done it before. What's the difference? How did it change? Because we can change. You can be on fire for the Lord on Monday. You can be cold as a tomb on Wednesday. Your prayers one day can be of such fire and passion. You can be crying and weeping for the Lord in such zealousness and fervency. Praying like you've never prayed before. And you're wondering, where is this coming from? And you're, and you're so zealous for the Lord. And the very next day, where did that passion go? You see, this is why it's one day at a time. Sufficient unto the day's evil thereof. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. You see, it's one day at a time. Faith is one day at a time. It's one battle at, at, at a time. All because you're on fire and you have a great, a great revival on, on Sunday. It doesn't carry through the week. That's for Sunday. Where's Monday's revival? Where's Tuesdays? Where's Wednesdays? Where's Thursdays? Where's Fridays? Where's Saturdays? Every day is a new day before the Lord. But Christians, they don't look at it in that way. Many Christians, they, they plan ahead and they think ahead and they schedule all this and they think, oh, because they're on fire here, it's going to carry through the rest of their lives. And that's why so many Christians fall apart and they fall into such depression because they wonder where the fire has gone. Because they thought that the one moment of great revival is going to carry through the rest of their lives. No. That was that day's. Why don't you pray every day like you prayed that day why don't you praise the lord on on thursday like you did on the previous sunday hmm how come we only worship god on sunday how come we only break out the hymn books on sunday how come we only sit for 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 a good time on sunday to study the word of god how come we don't do that on monday this is something that drives me up the wall I don't understand it. How come we only have church on Sunday? Sunday's church day. We put on the fancy clothes on Sunday. We dedicate one day out of seven to God. He deserves the whole week. 
You want to know how to bring in revival? Start having church every day. Start singing the hymns every day. Start serving the Lord like every day is Sunday. And I'll tell you, that's when the heavens will break open. That's when the devils will start running for the hills. That's when you'll see the hand of God move. The cloud of God will descend upon you like it never has before. Your life will be changed like you've never seen it before. And the faith will become alive in your life. And you'll start to see the true living God like you've never seen before. Taking the faith seriously is having church every day in your heart, in your mind, in your life. Taking him everywhere you go. Taking him to work. Taking him to the gas station. Taking him outside to the park. In the backyard having a barbecue with Jesus. And you're sitting there and you're celebrating, praising the Lord and everything that you do. Even in eating and drinking to all to the glory of God. Why don't we do that? Why? Someone tell me why. Give me one good reason where you would be excused before God as to why you don't do that. One good reason. Why can't we? Hmm? You want to know what born-again Christianity looks like? looks like that it looks like actually taking the faith seriously but we have so many excuses we have so many excuses so many distractions so many hindrances we have so many things in our lives that keep us so busy so wrapped up we we hardly have two seconds to give to god we have to have an isolated separate distinct independent special day for god because we're too busy to give him the rest of the week This is why wickedness prevails. This is why churches fold up. This is why Christians' faith dries up and Christians fall apart and wind up giving up the faith. This is why so many Christians struggle to even know the very basics of the Word of God. Why, why you get so many questions from people asking questions about the Bible and you're wondering, how could you possibly not know that? Because they don't study their Bibles because they're too busy with everything else. Because they they because the, the depth of their theology is the t-shirt hat hashtag blessed. They think that's enough, that's sufficient. And you can go to church and sing the same chorus five hundred thousand times. Well, that's Bible. And you get some Joel Osteen up there telling you about Jesus died on the cross, you get a new Mercedes. Oh, that's theology. Or they think their theology comes from some other books of some other commentaries and they won't study the Bible for themselves. Tell me I'm wrong. This is the depth that Christianity has fallen. This is where we are. This is why we are we're in, in, in closing on the end of days because the church has given up the torch. We've given up. We're tired. Tell me I'm wrong. We get more Christians praying that God will come again. 
praying for the rapture, praying, Lord, come quickly, instead of praying for revivals, that the Lord would stay, would delay, so we'd have more time to preach and win more souls to the Lord. We have more Christians given up and praying and wishing we could just go home because we're done with this world. Instead of being like a true Christian and bearing down and trying to bring in revival for one more revival before the Lord comes. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall see unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. But we look at everything in this world as impossible. Oh, you can't change the government. You can't change this. You can't change society. Go back a hundred years, two hundred years, and tell that to Christians back then. Tell that to the great revivals, how they swept over the nations and changed everything. Nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. Was Jesus exaggerating? The cessationist would say, oh, that was for back then. That's not for today. The unbelieving and the faithless would say, oh, that was for back then. That's not for today. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Albeit this kind goeth not up of a prayer and fasting. What about our situations of our social issues and problems and the issues in the home, home life and work life, public life, schools and everything else? You know, we, we spend more time griping and complaining. Our faith is, is nigh like the Israelites in the wilderness, griping about their hungry bellies and, and not having water. We're more like that. We spend more time griping and complaining and belly aching than we do actually praying and fasting. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, what can we do about it? Fast and pray. It's not hard. You just have to give up a meal. Can you do that? Well, my sugar gets low. Oh no, what was you? Oh, muffin. You might actually have to be uncomfortable for Jesus for a day. You might actually have to bear your cross for a day. Woe is you. But this is where we are. That's literally the kind of thinking that much of today's Christianity is. Tell me I'm wrong. You know I'm right. And if the shoe fits... I hope you'll put it on. I hope you'll own up to it. And I hope you'll take the faith seriously. I hope that you will do everything you possibly can to change your life, your heart, to bring revival into your soul. That you'll start praying like you've never prayed before. That you'll start fasting and praying like you never have before. You'll start taking the faith seriously like you never have before. To show the devil he's not one. He hasn't won. Oh, a 10,000 may fall by thy side, but you'll still stand. You will fight tooth and nail to preach Christ, to proclaim the goodness of God. You will fight tooth and nail. Those, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but you will fight in truth and doctrine and faith and prayer. You'll uh, push forward and you will not quit. 
Though this world outlaws the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll become an outlaw for Jesus. You will do what needs to be done. If no one else will stand with you, then you'll go alone. One standing alone with God is in the majority. Though the whole rest of the church won't follow you, you do what needs to be done. You bear the banner. You carry the torch. You stand and pray. No one else will because they're too timid and faithless and weak. You show them how to be strong and you encourage them. You, you, you charge them and encourage them and pray for them. Lift them up. Show them what true zealousness looks like. Bear down. This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. These issues, these problems, these weights come not out but by prayer and fasting. You see, much of it, that uh, of the problem, I dare say, and I am just as guilty. is we can't fast from our own delights. We are taken with such an addiction to our own personal habits. Our personal diets and habits and likes and desires, we are so addicted, so hopelessly addicted, we make every excuse not to fast and pray. And it's like pulling a tooth, sawing off a leg to try to get ourselves to fast and pray for a day. Oh, I can only go an hour. I can only go half a day. You know, regularly you see in the Bible, they fast and pray for days. Why can't we do that anymore? Well, I'm too hungry. My sugar gets low. You can't be uncomfortable for Jesus for a set period of time. Eh? You have you have to feed the flesh. You have to give in to fleshly desire. You can't crucify the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. You can't do it. Tell me I'm wrong. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. I know the context. He's talking about the cross. The context is what he's come to do. I dare say, though, that there is an application here. Would you say, would you agree that much of Christianity today has betrayed the Son of Man, the Son of God, into the hands of wicked men. That we have betrayed our faith. We have betrayed the charter that he has left us. We have betrayed the faith. We have handed over the faith. We have given up. We, we have not counted the cost. That we have fainted in faith and prayer. Would you dare say that we have betrayed our Lord Jesus into the hands of wicked men? into the hands of sinners. But what can we do? Take it back. Holy reclamation. Reclaim. Reclaim our birthright. 
reclaim the faith. Take it back. Take back prayer. Take it back like it used to be. Take back the preaching like it used to be. Take back the word of God. Take back the faith. Take it back. It, no longer will the government, the world, society, the devils, and hell tell us and dictate to us how we should live our faith. They will, the world will not tell us, hell will not tell us how we ought to preach, how we ought to live our lives in the Lord God, how we ought to witness. We will not be told what to do from them. Only the Lord tells us we only bow the knee to God. And that we will be outlaws for Jesus if need be. Take it back. Take back the time that we have wasted and start praying like you mean it. From this point forward, we, we will live our lives as we ought to. And we won't care what others say. We fear God more than men. If need be, point the finger like Nathan to David. Thou art the man. Call out sin like it is. Exposing sin as it is sin. Exposing righteousness as it is righteousness. Preaching the truth and not apologizing. I will not apologize for hurting your feelings. I will not apologize for preaching the word of God. I will not apologize for being zealous. I will not apologize for being loud. Because we spend more time being loud about pagan things as world... And we whisper the truths of Christ. It's about time we lift up our voices and declare, declare them like a trumpet. Declaring the word of God. Lifting up the voice and praising the Lord. Letting the world know that God is still alive. Jesus is still on the throne. The cross is still the only way of salvation. His name is the only name above all names. we got to take the faith seriously. Take it back. This is where we are and this is what we need to do. We talk so much about what once was, about past experiences, about the things that the Lord has done. True, He has done. Understanding He has not changed. He is still the same God, the same power, same faith, same spirit, same word, same cross, same blood, same spirit, same faith, same way, same truth, same life. Nothing's changed. We have. And it's about time we change for the better. Enough betraying the Son of God. Enough betraying prayer. Enough betraying the Holy Spirit. Enough betraying the Word of God. Enough betraying the church. Enough betraying the faith. Let us repent of this, our apathy. Let us repent of our lax luster conviction. How does conviction come in? It first comes by repentance. By true repentance. Not the repentance of Esau, but the repentance of Peter. After betraying the Lord, how he went and wept bitterly. When was the last time you actually poured out your heart before God? You actually prayed in tears, begging his forgiveness and asking him to fill you with the right spirit with fire. When was the last time you prayed like you actually meant it? When was the last time that you went and you nigh envisioned, you nigh had a vision of the fires of hell and you saw your relatives falling into it, your friends and those around you falling into it? You the last time you prayed that, that you could pull some out of the fire, like it says in Jude. 
When was the last time you prayed for lost souls? When was the last time you prayed for your church? When was the last time you prayed for your pastor and prayed like you actually meant it? And you threw away the list and you prayed from the heart. When was the last time? The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. We kill the witnessing of the gospel. We, it, it's, it's like this. It's like we kill him when we, we refuse to speak of him before the public. We silence our own mouths and we silence the gospel by shutting our lips out of fear of what the unbelievers might say or do. We kill the truth of the gospel before the unbelievers by our silence. But let it rise again like he rose again the third day. Let it rise again in our hearts and let us never be silent again. Let us never be silent again. And they were exceeding sorry. Let us be exceeding sorry for what we have done. How we have mistreated that which we have been given. When the Lord comes again, let us let, let him find us faithful. When they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? But what about all the politics? But what about Caesar? But what about this? What about all these things around here? Don't, don't you care about taxes? Don't you care about the politics? Don't you care about these things? And he said, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter said, Of strangers, Jesus said unto him, Then are the children free. Then are the children free. We're free from all the things of this world. The things, the, the goings on, the carryings on, are not our business. Our business is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that fixes everything. You want to fix the government, fix the schools, fix the paganism and debauchery and everything else going on? Preach the gospel. That's how you fix it. That's how you fix everything is by the gospel of Jesus Christ. When people believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to scripture, it changes their lives. It changes their, their thinking. It changes their hearts and minds. It alters their lives. And they start following the Lord and the paganism is gone. You want to fix the schools? Preach Christ. You want to fix the White House and Parliament? Preach Christ. But we, but we digress and we speak about everything else. So we argue about everything else and Christ is nowhere to be found. Tell me I'm wrong. We are free from the things of this world. Free from all the politics. Free from us. But we bind ourselves again by our own lusts and desires. And we, ca and we cannot speak the truth. We get so off the trails. So, so rabbit trailed. We get on our own hobby horses. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is hardly spoken. It's pushed to the back burner. Tell me I am wrong. And the vast majority of ministries that you see out there, they're supposed to be Christian ministries, are all, are all speaking about the social issues and off on tangents. And they hardly, hardly preach Christ of a truth. 
notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast an hook, and take up the fish that, that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money, and take and give that unto them for thee and me. The Lord will provide as is needed, as we serve him. You don't need to plan and scheme and figure out and, and, and worry about all the things that's going on. Serve the Lord, and needs arise, he provides. We're talking about miracles, signs, and wonders. There it is. The Lord provides. You have need, you let him know, he works it out. You don't need to scheme and plan and fight and argue, spit and curse and figure out all your own. The Lord provides. Follow me, Jesus says. Worry about the faith uh, that you can get it out. Worry not, fear not, doubt not, fret not, care not, stress not. Be anxious for nothing. But we don't really believe it. Because we fear and fret and stress and freak out about literally everything. Our faith has become so weak that when we actually come across a Christian that seems to take the faith seriously, we think there's something wrong with them. <laughs> we think they're crazy. They think they're over-exaggerating. They're so worked up. And like, like many did, they'd go out into the wilderness to see John the Baptist because they saw him more as entertainment because they thought it was comical. They thought it was interesting. They thought it was just something to do to see a reed shaking in the wind. And they're not paying attention to what he's saying. But what can we do? What can we do? We can take the faith seriously. We can heed the woes unto our churches. We can understand how we are free in Christ and free ourselves from our cares. And we set on the pedestal of our lives only one care, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many have said to me, well, well, you, you seem to be diminishing all these other issues, but they are important and we need to focus on this. We need to pay attention to them. I honestly say no. You can disagree with me all you want. We are not called to fight political wars. We are not called to fight the social wars. We're here to fight one warfare. We are one soldier of one army, of one focus, of one mind, of one faith, of one point, of one purpose that we are here. Yes, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. You can disagree all you want. All you social, social, social justice Christians, political Christians, you don't understand what you're doing. You've watered down the gospel and you're off on tangents. And in you is no faith, no understanding of what we're here for. You're, you're trying to win political wars instead of trying to win souls for Christ, pulling the souls out of hell. You're trying to pull social issues into biblical morality where there's no Holy Spirit. They're not going to understand biblical morality or other biblical doctrines if they have not the Holy Ghost. Tell me I am wrong. And we get so caught up, we get at each other's throats. Even political Christians are at the throats of other political Christians. And we see infighting and schisms and in wars. And the churches fall apart. 
because Christ is not the center. So how can we fix things by getting ourselves back on track? We need to bulldoze it all under. Everything. Bulldoze it all flat. Start over. This is what we need to do. We need to start over. Square one, root one. Square one, root one. Step of faith, number one. Get back to the basics. We need to relearn the truth and unlearn the lies. We've we've gotten so, so off track. We've gotten so far off the mark. We need to just, we need a complete reset. Start over. Get back to what does it mean to pray? What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean? Because so many Christians, they, they, they've been saved for so many years, but they seem to not even get these main basic points. I've had Christians, uh, so-called professed Christians, have been Christians for decades. Decades! Who couldn't even quote a handful of verses from the Bible to justify and point and explain how Jesus is God. Christians who've been saved for years, not able to tell me how to be saved using Bible alone. This is where we are. Famine in the land. We spend so much time glorifying the past. Of what the Lord has done and the great things that have happened and the great revivals. We spend so much time talking in past tense that we've completely neglected the present. And in so doing, completely abandoned the future. What is the church going to look like in 10 years? What's it going to look like in two? Look at where we are now. So what can we do? We may be few, but what can we do? Start praying. Start praying for revival. Start with ourselves. Revival starts in the heart of the one who's praying for it. Take the faith seriously. Pray like you mean it. Study like you mean it. Preach like you mean it. Take the faith seriously like you mean it. It is real. It's more real than you could ever imagine. More real than we could ever imagine. But let us pray that the cloud of God would descend on our lives to bring us to the understanding of that which is a more sure word of prophecy which we have neglected to repent to repent of this our apathy of our neglectfulness and the goodness of God will lead thee to repentance he will change our hearts and our minds he will teach us. He will cause us to be in remembrance of everything. We need not fear or doubt or worry. He will help us. And it's never too late. It's never too late to change. All you got to do is determine it in yourself to not return again to him in heaviness. What does the word of God mean to you? What are you basing your faith off of? Your experiences, signs and wonders? What are you basing off of? That which once was? Are you basing it off the present? Because 
this is what it is to me. Because this is who I am in Christ. This is who he is to me. You're basing it off the present. You can't base your faith off of what once was. It is an everyday battle. It is an everyday war. His mercies are new every morning. Let us be new every morning. Let us determine in our hearts every morning, every day of every moment, 